0: Just a quick shout out to all our patrons, but in particular Sarah Turner, Rebecca Johns, Justin Harper and Ashley. Thank you very much for your support. And this week's random call out slash honorable mention goes to patron Alyssa Salazar.
1: In the mental health field, too often we've made it seem as if it's just in your head. Just in
2: your head. If the landlord can hijack the rent by 20%. That impacts people's mental health. We
1: can't have a profit driven mental health care system if we want our people to be connected and healthy. Hello, listeners. So glad you're here. So glad you're listening. Patreon members, so glad that you're helping us get this show on the road. Today, I will be doing the show with the help of Liam Tate, our most wonderful and smart person who works with us, and Max will be away. Today, I want to talk about Striketober and also the other phenomena around Striketober, because I see Striketober, the fact that 250,000 Americans are on strike, and between four and five million are on their own kind of strike. They're not working at the jobs available to them because they're in a silent, passive protest against the combination of low wages, disrespect, and lousy working conditions. So that's another form of strike. And I want to say, that I think this is a strike against the disasters that have befallen America. And what am I talking about? Well, we have some real markers of distress here. For the first time since World War II, our life expectancy is going down. The other Western industrialized and developed wealthy nations do not have this problem so that Americans are not living as long. And these are, the deaths are mainly among white Americans. People of color have always lived less long than whites in this country for the same reason that whites are suffering now. And black people and other people of color still do die sooner. Not every single one, of course. These are statistics. And it's not just COVID, although, of course, COVID contributes to the fact, and it also contributes to this strike, that these strikes that are happening everywhere, because people have been feeling, I was told I was essential. Now I'm nobody. In the words of a John Deere, a striking John Deere tractor worker, he said, in 2020, we were essential. Pay up if we're essential. We're being treated like shit, and we're essential. And people are tired of risking their lives, being told their work is important, and their labor is valued for the first time since the 1950s. People are admitting that their labor is valued at the same time as they're not being paid well, and they're not being treated with respect. There's another sign of real decay in the United States. And that's that Americans used to be the tallest people in the world. We're no longer the tallest people in the world. The countries that are doing better than we on every level are growing taller. Germans are taller, Norwegians are taller, the Danish are taller, the Dutch are taller. What's the matter here? What is happening in America with the that is leading to strike Who's dying and being sick and in pain? And why? Well, the people who are dying most are white people between forty-four and fifty-five and increasingly younger white people without an education without a BA, and of what diseases are they dying? What is this atmosphere of death that is leading people to risk pay and, and risk loss? Because you know we all know when you go out on strike, you may never get paid back the pay you lost for being on strike. You get back the dignity and the power but you won't necessarily get that payback. So what's the background here? Why are people dying? Well, the biggest increase is in overdose deaths. There were 100 overdose deaths in the United States between April 2020 and May 2021. That's the most overdose deaths ever.
0: 100,000, yeah.
1: 100,000 deaths. And another one, another of the big causes of death, is heart disease related to alcohol consumption and obesity, as well as consumption of salty, fatty junk food and not exercising. A third one is closely related. It's liver disease related to an improper diet and alcohol. So what's going on here? And what's going on that in the United States, the richest country in the world, we have the highest death rate in the world. The death rate reported as of November 2021, There different reports that are given. There are between 765,000 dead and 990,000 dead. China reports 4,636 dead. Now, they may be exaggerating, and of course we're exaggerating how many died. Also, we know that because Governor Cuomo of New York didn't mention all the people who died of COVID in nursing homes when... The owner of those nursing homes, the biggest nursing home company in New York, was one of his backers. So we know that there's lying on both sides. For a smaller country, New Zealand has had 38 dead. Wait a minute, what happened? Well, our government failed us. Our government failed us. Our food industry failed us. Our housing industry failed us. Big Pharma failed us. And how did they do that? Well, Big Pharma, with the cooperation of the U.S. government and the FDA, allowed OxyContin on the market, even though even the studies of OxyContin that were done showed that it was promised to provide pain relief far longer at least 4 hours longer than it actually did so people were desperate for relief before their prescriptions were over also opioids were being prescribed like m&ms and big companies that were relying on doctors flooded them with all sorts of incentives to prescribe OxyContin and other addictive opioids. The average, well actually not the average, the lowest amount a drug company pays to a doctor who prescribes an enormous amount of its highly profitable product is 30 grand a year extra, over and above the over 100 grand the physician gets. And in addition, That doctor who's getting paid is to have little seminars where he invites other doctors to hear about the wonders of the drug that is being sold while being fed and wined and literally wined and dined with lovely cheese and wine hors d'oeuvres by the pharmacy the pharmaceutical company, which has an agent in there disguised as a doctor and taping the doctor's lecture. So if anything critical is said, that doctor is off the gravy train. There's a mass of corruption in our market-driven healthcare system and obviously in our federal drug administration that allowed OxyContin to flood the market and increase the overdose rate. There are also food commodities prices and food commodities that are advertised where the, when food, which is a necessity of a life, becomes a commodity, you can and do hustle salty, fatty snacks. There was a study done that said that a huge bag of Fritos, Cheetos, or Doritos eaten by a child in the United States, has the nutritional value of a half a cup of lentils that could be eaten by a child and would be eaten by a child in Africa. So we are glutting people, making them fat, and also denying them nutrition and keeping them hungry so they need to eat more. And obesity is one of those causes of the heart disease that kills Americans. There's also exercise, which is not prescribed. Doctors get kickbacks and also much advertising, even if they don't get actual monetary kickbacks, they get much advertising for prescribing drugs, not to say, look, what you really need is some healthy food, and these are some healthy food like orange juice and eggs and so on, and exercise. Because there's no money in exercise. I'm in the psych field where psych pills that have side effects and are 75% utterly unaffected are prescribed right and left and where insurance companies need mental health workers of all kinds from psychiatrists to mental health counsellors to write excuses as to why they're not prescribing drugs for their patients or clients, so that we have corruption woven into all of these deaths. And of course, we have the alcohol industry as well. In addition, there are psychological causes, which are behind October strikes and also behind the massive death rates in the United States and the lowering of our life expectancy, and the increasing of our pain and disease. Because the way the brain works is the brain and body are connected intimately. It's religion that says the soul is different from the body, that says the brain is different from the body. The way an infant's brain works is that infant starts looking For the bottle or the breast to survive, looking for food, which ignites a kind of curiosity and touch. And the idea that sucking on things can teach you. And so they start orally sucking on everything that they can pick up. And in that way, intellectual curiosity is intimately tied to survival and physical need. And we are the only nation. In the world that allows direct to consumer drug advertising, which also gives people the idea through advertising that the drugs will solve their problems when they won't. Brain fluid is found throughout the body because there really is no separation. Our thinking brain is part of our physical body brain. And when we're depressed and feel we have no future, It affects our body's functioning. It affects our physical pain. Loneliness is another thing that affects our brains. And it's true, loneliness got even worse during the pandemic, but Americans are very lonely people. There there was a study originally done called Bowling Alone. It was originally done I guess in about the 1990s, and it keeps being repeated, in which they showed, and it is still true, that there were more people connected with other people and active on bowling leagues alone than there are on anything in the United States. Hopefully, that is changing, that people are getting connected through the movement, through the um, DSM, the Democratic Socialist Movement, through unions particularly, and through Black Lives Matter, through social activity, which gives people connection and hope, and which Americans are only beginning to resume after the long lull in the 1980s. There's also the dissolution of close relationships, Most women in the United States are now single by choice. Marriage has broken down, and dating relationships have changed. Now, what happened? Well, what happened in a nutshell is that starting in the late 70s, And then continuing into the 80s until today, well-paid manufacturing jobs that were reserved for white males have been outsourced with plenty of permission and encouragement from the United States government. In Germany, outsourcing is illegal. It's one of the reasons they have the strongest economy in Europe and why the German metal workers, all 300,000 of them, have a 22-hour work week at full pay to have work-life balance. So that outsourcing was allowed the way it isn't in any of the Scandinavian countries. It isn't in Germany. And in Sweden, if you want to close your factory, you have to provide an equivalent job for everyone who works for you. And on your board, you need to have community members because the community is affected when you outsource or close a factory. And you also have to have union representatives because naturally the workers and their families' lives will be affected if they are unemployed. The United States didn't provide any of that. And these white male workers, who used to count on a family wage supporting dependent wives and children. Not that I think that being dependent on a man's salary is the greatest, but there was a certain level of security for the men and for the women who would be taken care of, and that's gone. The little dry cleaning store you have is part of Walmart, just like the little grocery store your family might have had just like the little hardware store, which is replaced by Walmart also, or Home Depot. And the steady job that gave you a position in the community, particularly if it were a union job, and in the 50s and early 60s, we have to remember, 35% of the workforce was unionized, and those people who weren't unionized were affected by the higher wages that unions had won. And so suddenly, whites, particularly the white men, who are mainly uh, Donald Trump supporters, who have only a high school degree, can't get jobs that could support anyone. And the marriage that was built on the economic dependency of women and children on a wage earning male has collapsed. First, it collapsed in the Black family, because Blacks were not given family wages ever. Then it collapsed in the White family. And just as Patrick Moynihan, in his famous study of, quote, the Negro family, said that that was because of the pathology of Black males. And Charles Murray, in 2010, a right-wing thinker, who wrote a book that was unfortunately a bestseller, a book called Coming Apart, blames the fact that people aren't staying in marriages because white men are lazy and immoral, just as black men were condemned of being in the 60s and the 50s. So what you have is you have the basic structure crumbling, and the people who are most afflicted with disease, are middle aged whites, particularly males. And one of the other big jumps causing death and the lower life expectancy of Americans, of I should say high school educated or below Americans, or no people without a BA degree, is suicide. And those are more prevalent among men. Than among women. So that what you have is you have a terrible tragedy here. And workers were in shocked distress and dismay when suddenly their lives were altered for the worst, these white workers. Suddenly, the jobs they counted on for the position in the community and for connections, being in your factory's bowling league and being in your neighbor, stable neighborhood's blood drive, they're gone. And people stared at their TVs and ate snacks in days' despair. It was only in 2011 that class was reborn in the United States it had been crushed in 2020 not in 2020 i'm sorry in 1950 with the anti-communist crusades where they kicked the communists out of the union then they kicked the socialists out as fellow travelers and the leftists out as also fellow travelers and so all that was left were people who didn't have a mission who didn't necessarily have that spark that labor is important and that our work is what is the most important in the world, they were thrown out. And it wasn't until 2011 that class re-entered our vocabulary with Occupy and the 99% versus the 1%. And we should note that Obama had every Occupy destroyed on the same day because he is a corporate person, just like the Democrats are corporate capitalists, and so are the Republicans, they're different. Corporate capitalism light versus corporate capitalism heavy. And in our great democracy, we have two capitalist parties and no choice of a different system. The way they have in the Scandinavian countries that are doing well in Germany, in France, in Italy, even in England with the Labour Party. And so Americans were smashed and depressed, turned to drugs and alcohol and passivity and food. And only now, now that the pandemic has happened, Americans are having a striketober. Americans are realizing that labor is essential, something that socialists, communists, anarchists, leftists have also always said, that everything you see around you is built by somebody's work. You yourself are created because some woman was in labor and then fed you and cared for you and hopefully was assisted and helped by a man fed and cared for you and worked to help you thrive and that labor needs respect. And in the pandemic, when employers were asking workers to risk their lives in the meatpacking plants where so many died because Trump would not uh, declare health regulations there, or in the Amazon warehouses where so many got sick and died because the jobs they had to do required much closer contact than was safe and healthy. And in the chicken plants where people were dying, all over the place, people were dying, which is why we have the highest death rate in the world. It's interesting, the Brazilians, are suing their leader during COVID, Bolsonaro, for denying the importance of COVID and not taking precautions. So far, no one's been suing Trump, who did exactly, exactly the same thing. And so Americans are catching on. Those who who are angry are supporting Donald Trump, thinking they can go back to the the past, if only America were even more racist again, and sexist again, and men without a degree could be the king of their households, everything would be wonderful. That's fascism. When you appeal to the mass of workers to kick down on those below them, when the people above them are oppressing them. However, people are catching on. And I think that's what Strike Tober is about. It's about two things. It's about higher wages, better working conditions, and respect. One of the issues of the stage and technical workers, IATSE, who threatened a 60,000-member strike, there were several issues. They came up around Alex Baldwin, Killing a a woman who was in the Yahtzee by mistake, with a gun that was handed to him as a cold gun, i.e., without bullets when it was a hot gun. Six workers had worked off had walked off that stage set because it was unsafe. But Alex Baldwin and the other producers decided, so go with non-union and they didn't have an armaments person inspecting the gun to make sure that it was safe before it was used. If Alex Baldwin had walked off the set, and if the woman who was killed had walked off the set, that wouldn't have happened. That message is not lost to those IATSE workers. Their union has suggest, has made a contract which allows 10 hours recovery time after a work shift. That means 10 hours to go home, get ready for bed, sleep, eat, and come back the next day um, when they wanted 12 hours. And they have an electoral college-type system in the OTC, so the majority didn't want to go back. But the union voted to see them back and we'll see what happens. If you listen to their complaints, their complaints are that they're disrespected. They have to work 16 hours a day with a short recovery period and then reappear. They risk their lives because they're driving home exhausted and often have to pay to stay somewhere near the set so that they won't kill themselves while driving home and going to sleep. They're fighting for dignity. They're fighting for respect for recognition of their work and reasonable working conditions. And they're fighting hard because ever since the 50s and 60s, they haven't been fighting. They've been in days' despair as their working conditions have been eroded and as they're being cheated and as billionaires are getting more and greater billions of dollars so that they can watch Jeff Bezos entertain himself by spending $500 million to go into outer space when that $500 million could solve the housing crisis of most of the cities in the United States, the affordable housing. And so even though we don't have a militant labor movement, ever since they threw the leftists out the the labor movement has become a pork chop movement instead of workers have dignity workers are important in europe unions are politicized the idea is that the union goes along with a political group so there are the communist trade unions very militant there are the middle of the the socialist trade unions and there are the more capitalist trade unions. However, there is no trade union that allows any official to be paid more than the highest paid worker of her or his union. So they don't have people making over $100,000 at the top who are living very different lives from the workers who are struggling and unable to live in the mass and the body of their union. And so Unions are rebelling, in spite of the fact that the AFL CIO is not militant, in spite of the fact that only Sarah Nelson called for a general strike when Trump wanted the baggage, the baggage people and the inspectioners at the, the inspectors at the airports to work without pay. And the flight attendants and the nursing union, the nurses' unions, are the most militant. They're women's unions, and they're used to being disrespected and secondary because they're women, but they're not standing for it anymore. And most unions are starting to say, no, we won't be disrespected anymore. We won't have a leadership out of touch with our needs. At the same time as we don't have a militant labor movement the way they do in Europe, so that in France, if the subway is... Workers are on strike, then they cut off the other workers, cut off your gas and electricity and everything else. So, of course, they come. If the teachers are on strike, the whole place closes down in solidarity because they're political unions around the idea of what average people have is the fact that we are the mass and do the work. So we, they don't have a militant labor movement. They don't have a socialist alternative which is something that France, Germany, Holland, Sweden, all of those countries that are doing better than we do, that don't have lowered life expectancy and illness, they all have that. Another reason is our health system. Among those countries, we are the only people with a market-driven healthcare system, which jacks up the prices, so that people die. We have the most expensive health system in the world, but not the best. Because copays pays mean people don't go to the doctor. And if they don't go to the doctor and they're not checked, they're sunk. And if they go to the doctor and the doctor's prescription isn't covered by the insurance company, they can just die. Because there is a union of Four huge corporate giants, Big Pharma, the pharmaceuticals company, along with Big Insurance, the insurance companies, along with for-profit hospitals, and the medical unions for doctors, not the others who are not well-paid, work together to create a market-driven, ineffective healthcare system which particularly afflicts those people who have lost their health insurance or who have a health insurance company that's so expensive they can't afford it and they can't afford the co-pays, who are mainly those same high school and not BA-oriented workers. So, And those are the people on strike. Those are the people besides the nurses who are more educated, but it's the nurses, it's the John Deere tractor people, it's the flight attendants who had a big walkout and and strike, it's the 250,000 people, the Kellogg's workers, the meat packers. All of these people, there's a guy named Mike Elk, who writes um, out of his own wish, he's a retired working guy and unionist, something called Payday Report, which is free, which lists the thousands of strikes that are happening that are usually unreported. But Striketober is the beginning of the rebirth of... Peoples honoring their own labor and the labor that builds America. The great man theory is what is taught in our schools. That it was a great man who did this or that. Pharaoh built the pyramids, as Bertolt Brecht, the poet, says. Was it he who dragged the heavy blocks of stone? Alexander I conquered Europe. Was there not even a cook in his army? Did he die? And so on. We have to bring back the awareness that people's work is what built this country and will give us a future. And I think the antidote, which is the cure for the poison of lowered life expectancy, lowered growth rates, way out of control, overdose deaths and suicides and heart and liver disease and obesity, the cure is hope. The cure is solidarity. The cure is the kind of striketober that's happening all over the United States. And in addition, it's an an alternative party that gives us hope that the people in charge won't all be dependent on the corporate dollar, but will be dependent on us. In France, in Germany, in Holland, and all over Scandinavia, there is no private money allowed in elections so that you don't get the best democracies money can buy. You're not allowed. Now, they cheat sometimes, but when they cheat, they're immediately off- you know, they're immediately exposed and they cannot run. And in case of Sarkozy, who did that in France, he's up for going to jail. That's a big difference. And so Strike Tober shows us that although things are sad here, our empire is dying because we're overexpended, overextended spending. $8 trillion on wars, instead of while China spent a fairly similar amount on their roads and bridges um, project, on getting 880 million people out of extreme poverty, and on public works to create what they call common prosperity. So if we're in competition with them, we're losing. And we're losing because of corporate capitalism. We have to choose a more socialist alternative. And one way to start choosing it is honoring labor. And that will be a way to bring the mental health that is flagging along with the physical health. Because depression and physical health go hand in hand. Mental health and physical health are intimately tied. Brain fluid is everywhere in the body. We are one system in the experiments where they took elderly, poor Medicare recipients and created housing that had big common areas and they had people showing films and having game areas where people could come out of their little cubby and relate to each other. The Medicare bills plummeted to the point where it paid for the housing. Because physical health is intimately tied with emotional health. So if we want better mental health, we need to connect with each other. We need to join. And Striketober shows us that people are realizing this. And we can join to make America a much healthier place to live. And then we can live longer, too, and without pain. Do you have any questions you want to bring up, Liam?
0: Yeah, um, a whole Good. bunch, actually. Um, I think uh, the hundred thousand people that died from overdoses. Uh, looking at the stats, the previous mm. the previous year it was ninety thousand people. So, right. so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of death there, right? And there's also yes. there's also a, a thing about like, um, not to be flippant, but. Uh, clearly it's a problem and does anyone care because like it's increased what you know 20 something odd percent in, in a year um and wh- why I say like does anyone care is because you know it's happening and uh, mm-hmm. no, no doubt next year's statistics will probably be even worse mm-hmm. um so you know, sort of riffing, really. I guess off off things you've said in previous podcasts that class is a suppressed discourse. Mm-hmm. Um, people overdosing on drugs is. Uh, it would be interesting to know what the the class breakdown of something it's like that is.
1: Overwhelmingly non. Um, Case and Deaton. Annie Case and Angus Deaton wrote a book called Deaths of Despair. Mm-hmm. in which they do all their two Princeton professors, two Princeton economics professors, and they point out who is dying. And who is dying are people without a BA degree who are right. white who are increasingly dying. Black people are dying too. Of course they owe and they die sooner than white people. But the gap is narrowing because white people without college degrees are dying faster and faster. So that's the big increase. And those are the probably the people among Trump's cohort who don't want to get vaccinated either, like the guards in the prisons in Rikers Prison in New York who don't want to go to work because they have to be vaccinated.
0: Right, yeah. Well, and also it's interesting that um, – the strike tober thing, people coming together and organising and mm. recognising the potential f- for there to be change and there to be successful change. Like from the, the stuff that I've read, numerous unions have had uh, all kinds of different success: increasing mm. pay, increasing time off, um, bonuses, blah blah blah. So clearly, you know, collective action works. So I think to your point about like hope is 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 important, but. And, and you know I guess to Max's thing of being a tenant union organizer, it, it, uh, collective action is mm. is the way is the way through, yes. and and this ties to um, an article that uh, I'll put in the show notes. But it's really interesting. This uh, TikTok uh, um, uh, creator had had put up a, an article on Medium, just and she'd reached out to the algorithm i guess to right wing conservative um, americans and just said like what don't you like or what don't you like about the mm-hmm. ideas of 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 socialism or or communism or um etc and it's sort of fascinating how, how people have replied to it and then she's sort of breaks down um sort of a, a some sort of, I guess, like an informal analysis of of their points, but more often than not, the the expressions of fear are exactly what's happening under their, you know, under our mm. current system, if you like. And yes. uh, it and it's fascinating, and and it, it sort of ties to this whole this whole debate as well, because it's about um, realizing the power that you have as a as a group of people. Um, not sort of isolated individuals,
1: right.
0: uh, and so I guess that's not so much a question; it's just more of a reinforcing um, the the points you were making.
1: Yes, you know it's interesting too that in school <clears throat> they are still they did it when I was younger and I'm old, but they're still teaching. When they teach about utopia, they read Animal Farm. They leave Read Brave New World, they read 1984. Everything they read about a utopia is a utopia that turned horrible and oppressive. They don't read about what's going on in Portugal now, where the last 15 years they've had a, a government of the communists, the socialists, and the greens, which has been very successful. It's reduced addiction by 75%. And people are living better and doing better. We don't learn those things. And that's sad. And we don't learn that people, that there were 200 utopian communities in the United States at the turn of the century between the 1800s and the 1900s that were flourishing.
0: As far as I understand it, the reason that the Scandinavian countries and um Britain have more sort of socialised healthcare and and socialised provisions in general is because that essentially they had to offer up something because the Soviet Union was on their doorstep.
1: Mm -hmm. Like Iceland and Finland, they do too.
0: Yeah, Uh, and it is sort of fascinating that now you were saying about the amount of money the US has spent or is spending on wars as mm-hmm. far as I understand it, the history of the sort of the Cold War is America and the Soviet Union spending lots of money, making lots of uh, weapons and all kinds of, you know, industrial pursuits. And it's ultimately mm-hmm. the Soviet Union went broke, right? Right. And so it, you it know, fell for it. Yeah. And is there a danger? The same thing happens with the states in some sort of rivalry uh, with with China.
1: Although China is investing very differently, we are in 130 countries with our bases and so on. They're not in other countries with their bases. They're spending their no. money you building roads and bridges to other countries and also enriching their own people as their way. And so they're not falling for the same thing the Soviet Union did and being willing to get into an arms race they can't afford. They're trying to build up. They do have a military, and they're huge, and they have four times our population, even though they have a tiny percentage of our COVID deaths. They have, you know, they are investing in their people and in connections with other countries. And that's a different way of doing it. They didn't fall for the same things as the Soviet Union did. Mm. and I think they learned their lesson. Now, they are authoritarian. One of the reasons they have great COVID statistics is because if people refused to stay in their houses, they welded the doors shut and fed them through the windows. They didn't allow people to go out, and everyone has to get vaccinated and is, and they built in Wuhan after the first nine deaths, they built 11 hospitals and tracked and, treat- and traced and treated every single citizen. And they still have a lot of their boundaries closed because there's some COVID illness there and they don't allow even Chinese to return without quarantining. Same as New Zealand, which is the Socialist Labor Party, Jacinda Ardern. They've had 38 deaths. When they had nine deaths, they closed the place down and tracked and traced and treated everyone. And because it's not an authoritarian state, but people believe in Jacinda Ardern and in socialist cooperation, it's the Socialist Labour Party, they cooperated.
0: Well, yeah, and that's the fascinating thing, right? It's the idea of trust. And that was one of the things in this article was that the reason people didn't like the idea of a socialist state was that they didn't trust the authority above them. And she was making the point well is that because you've lived in a sort of essentially capitalist democracy yes. democracy, and your examples of people in positions of power have not been positive uh you know there's i think there's plenty of historical examples of oh there uh, are of of terrible abuses of power in 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 uh, other systems other than capitalism but i think of course, but I think the uh it's just I think this is maybe just slightly left field to the topic of conversation, but one of the things that you said was this idea that as a, as an infant, being curious was part of your survival, intellectual
1: depart your intellectual development and your physical survival at the same time.
0: Sure. So what what happens when you become an adult? Because it it seems to me that. Um, you know, maybe I'm in my left wing box and I'm not exposing myself enough to the right, and I'm flattering myself, but by, by thinking that I am intellectually curious, but I, I believe I'm still curious, right? Yes, and so in this again, referring back to this article about why people are afraid of socialism, uh, there's this idea of there's almost like the thinking stops at a certain point. You have you have like a cul-de-sac where you just end your thinking. You're just like, okay, socialism equals this, and therefore I'm not interested in in any further curiosity development. about development about it. Yeah. And it's well, sort of, I, fa- why does that happen?
1: Um, I don't know, but I think what part of it is that in the United States, you are surrounded by lies. It is the, on the UN well-being study that came out in... 2020. We are the most distrustful of the nations, of the developed nations, because you're being lied to by advertisements every second. You can't look at a bus without seeing an ad. You can't turn on your TV. You can't turn on the internet. You know, you are bombarded by lies. And so that's part of it. And part of it is the education system. We really have a terrible education system. We're not taught to question. We're not taught. You know, I rem- I had the same stupid history class in public school 81. Every year we learned about the pilgrims. The pilgrims were actually massive child abusers and sex abusers. We never learned that. It was the noble pilgrims who came here for religious freedom. Well... Most of the people who came here, two-thirds of them, of the women at least, were bondswomen who came as semi-slaves. They were arrested for trivia and given the choice of going to the colonies or going to jail. And then they were sold as wives or workers and had to work for seven years to, to be freed. And so that that's who populated this country. I didn't know when I heard about the great constitution, because they don't tell you, 6% of the people could vote. You had to be white. You had to be a man. You had to own property. Native Americans in every state didn't get the vote till 1965. So, you know, you learn this mythology and you have to suspend your intelligence to get through it every year. Mm -hmm. And so you learn to do that. You learn to go along to get along, unless you're challenged. One of the things that a left can do is challenge that. One of the challenges we have now is Black Lives Matter. No, it's not okay to kill Black people and say it was an accident. Not anymore. People's lives matter. And it takes you... You learn about these truths and your mind shuts off from the very repetition, I think.
0: Interesting. Yeah.
1: I There's a wonderful book by Joe Baggent, B-A-G-E-A-N-T, called Rainbow Pie. And it's his life as a working class kid in Virginia. And one of his friends tells him in high school, don't make any trouble. Just act dumb. Eventually we'll get out of here. <laughs> You know you you don't want to you don't want to make trouble. I have a a dear friend who um was because he turned out to be uh, a genius on the standardized tests. His family was Orthodox Jewish, and he was basically a street urchin and had um you know he only spoke Yiddish and he also spoke Spanish because the people down the hall. Were Puerto Rican, and he'd leave his house all the time. He'd either go down to the street, like a lot of the kids did, to escape. It was before drugs, so the streets were safe, and you could walk around your tenement and go into other people's houses. And they liked him, so he'd hang out there. Anyway, he didn't speak English. He spoke Spanish, and he spoke Yiddish, so they thought he was dumb and put him in the dumb classes with children of color. And then when he got to fourth grade, he turned out to be a genius on the standardized tests. So they figured he was cheating and tested him again. And so having it got around that he was a genius, the Jewish temple that his Orthodox parents were in, and they were, you know, they were garment workers who worked 12 hours a day. They hardly noticed that he wasn't there. And They were very flattered that he got accepted at this yeshiva in a special position. And the first week he was there, they had a religion class, and he got up and said, wait a minute, you know, that don't make sense. Uh, Wait a minute. And so the teacher sent him to the principal, who was a rabbi. And the rabbi said, Alan, why are you in trouble? He said, well, they said this thing, it didn't make sense. And the principal slapped him across the face, so he punched that Principal, right back because yeah. his father said to him, Don't make any trouble, Alan, but somebody gets you, you know, you get them back good. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was thrown out. <laughs> but it he was thrown out because he hadn't, you know, he was speaking different languages than the people at the school. He didn't, you know, he didn't pay much attention. He mm. was a lively intellect. He didn't get, you know, it drummed into him. Yeah. He used his mind. Yeah. And he got punished for it. And what's cute is he's one of the best adjusted people I've ever met. <laughs> His father said to him, you are a shame on our family and I'll never speak to you again. So he just moved in with the Puerto Ricans down the hall, liked him. That was fine with him. That's smart. Very smart. And he had a choice, which most people do not have a choice of their parents. But that idea, you go along to get along. You say what you have to and let your brain die.
0: Actually, it reminds me. It reminds me of this. Uh, I have to see if I can dig it out somewhere, but it was this guy who went undercover as an estate agent for like a, um, uh, I don't know, an article, or a newspaper, or whatever. And he was sort of, it was very flippant. It was like, why do estate agents all wear shirts and, you know, gel their hair back and all this kind of stuff, I yeah. guess. Um, and then what he found is after a, about a week or two of being there, that he, felt compelled to start dressing like them yes. and, and, and talking like them because he wanted to belong.
1: Yes, um, we all do.
0: Yeah. So it's it, it takes a strong and maybe strong's the wrong word, but it takes a particular kind of person to actually sort of feel centered in yourself to reject the stuff around you and be like, no actually I'm I know I know what the correct path is.
1: Yeah, um, or I wanna that path you're presenting doesn't make sense. And I think it also takes another influence. Mm. You know, my father was a leftist, which really helped. It also helped me that I learned to distrust adults because I was in all sorts of different homes when my parents were not around. And for years at a time, and they all said different things. And they all had different absolutes. Three of them were, there were three different religions represented. So I learned they were all full of crap. Don't trust them, you know? And it helped me. And I think people who are on the outs, as I was in these houses, even though my parents were bourgeois, they learn not to accept it, to Mm. question. And that's very valuable. They also learn when there's a groundswell like Black Lives Matter. Or when, or me too, or time's up. No, I don't have to be sexually harassed. No, because there's public permission. Yeah. And I think that's what workers in Strike Tober said. No, you told me I'm so valuable, pay up.
0: Yeah. Treat me with dignity. I think that, like you said, the Jeff Bezos, the space thing, there was lots of stuff on Twitter about all the, you know, Elon Musk and all these billionaires increasing their worth. It was in everyone's face and it was just Mm -hmm.
1: offensive.
0: Uh, Just as a sort of kind of maybe final closing thing, something kind of interesting there, like on an individual level, uh, maybe we've all experienced it, but in particular in your example, where it's like, okay, you know, maybe I don't trust these adults and also your friend's example. How then do you go out into the world? and then hope that there can be a, a system above us that we can trust because potentially, you know, the anarchist path would be uh, power, con- you know, concentrated in any one place, in any institution.
1: Corrupts. It, yeah.
0: it, it corrupts and equals bad. Right. Um, but we're also fully aware that anarchists, you know, I, well, I've learned a lot through the discord, the patron discord, um, that anarchists aren't particularly great at organizing or sustaining power for very long, whereas uh, socialist communists are, are better at doing that. So having people in positions of power does work. And, you know, a, a, an example um, in my country, in Britain, um, is, is the NHS. There is something, mm-hmm. that the state Created and has had a fundamentally positive impact on untold lives. That's the lie. National
1: Health Service.
0: Yeah, and so and so, uh, it's clear to me that the state can be uh, good and and bad. And how how do we square the circle of coming across adults we don't trust, but also then believing in uh, a, a, in a state in in some sort of power structure.
1: Well, I think part of it is the co-op movement says that every position, every business, every office should be a co-op so that people, you know, that nobody's, everybody is evaluated from the bottom up as well as the top down. And that positions don't last forever and the people at the top don't have all the power over the people at the bottom, that people have to be accountable. Mm -hmm. The way they haven't been in the failed revolutions, or at least the less successful revolutions. And that socialism is just beginning. You know, capitalism has been around for a long time. Socialism is just beginning, and we need to have everyone be accountable. Bertolt Brecht said it so brilliantly, the um, wonderful German poet and playwright, He was offered a theater because he was such a brilliant playwright. He was after uh, the World War II. He was offered a state-supported theater, both in East Germany and in West Germany. And his response was very curious. It offended both. east and west but he decided to go to east germany and he said i decided to go to east germany because if you are a physician with only a certain amount of life serum and you have a choice you could give that life serum to the dying old man or the pregnant prostitute i choose the pregnant prostitute these germans weren't so flattered but <laughs> He was saying it isn't all we need, but there's hope, whereas there's no hope for capitalism.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and I think
1: I, that'll help us.
0: Yeah, and it, it, essentially it's, it's democracy. And in the examples, I guess, from uh, your history and your friend's history is your children. You don't have any power. You don't have any democratic
1: right. <laughs> institution Outlet. to right. vote
0: your parents out. You have no choice. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, that was interesting.
1: Well, it was, it was, thank you so much, Liam. And thank you, Patreon listeners. And thank you, listeners all. Please share this and let us know how you, th- what you think.
2: By the way listeners, if you have enjoyed anything you've heard Harriet say in this program, you will definitely enjoy Capitalism Hits Home, which is a solo program that Harriet does through Democracy at Work, which is a worker-owned cooperative that produces other great programs such as Economic Update with Richard Wolf and The Anti-Capitalist Chronicles with David Harvey. I can't recommend enough that everyone also listen to Capitalism Hits Home if you enjoy It's Not Just in Your Head.
1: Capitalism Hits Home is a sort of broader over- View It explores the way that capitalism shapes our personal lives, our psyches, our relationships, our families. And it looks particularly at the sea change in American personal life as all Americans, but the top 10 or 20% of Americans have our security and our chance for a future become as precarious as it always was for minorities and families headed by women. It's not just in your head, and Capitalism Hits Home are definitely complimentary.
2: And if listeners would like to check out Capitalism Hits Home, Harriet, where should they go to find it?
1: Either on YouTube or Democracy at Work or on my own website, HarrietFraud.com.